Hey, welcome back to uh, the Not Quite Compassion podcast. Uh, I felt like I was, I was like <laughs> Italian there for a second. Hey, over here. Uh, hey, this is episode number 16, uh, <laughs> entitled Blessed Are Those Who Mourn. And uh, just got back from watching both my boys play a little rec basketball. Both boys scored a bucket. It was kind of cool. Laura was getting a little embarrassed because I kept making a scene. I was, I was the loudest parent. Big surprise. But let's knock this out. Uh, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Out of Matthew chapter 5. Um, I was talking to uh, the cohort that I'm a part of for uh, my doctorate program. And we were all going through the Beatitudes together uh, as a class in uh one of them, Donnie, well, several of us actually were talking about how difficult the Beatitudes are, and no wonder people don't um, do a lot of sermons. You don't hear a lot of sermons on the Beatitudes, and um, perhaps that's why. the reason why is because Beat, the Beatitudes don't really give us anything to do, you know? They're hard to apply. Uh, there's no, like, steps to achieve, per se, you know? There's, there's, uh, it's much more descriptive that, than it is prescriptive. And I was thinking about why and and maybe just maybe it's because we have to remember who Jesus is talking to when he's um delivering these beatitudes these these blessings right this good news and, and it's the poor it's the marginalized it's the oppressed of society so you don't tell that group of people here's a bunch more things you need to do in order to be right you don't i mean th- that's not good news for people who are already feeling um overwhelmed um, instead, I think Jesus is saying, you don't have to do anything. This is actually who you already are. And then he invites us who may not look and feel and um, experience what um, those first crowds were. Um, he invites us to go and become like them, to, to stand in their shoes um, in solidarity in order to um, experience the same kind of blessing that they're experiencing. So with that in mind, I want to jump into the idea of mourning. Fun topic. Uh, But first and foremost, I don't think mourning is the same as pity. See, pity is feeling sorry for someone that we don't know very well. But in order to mourn, uh, we must first have had to come near to someone. Because as I've mentioned before, pity cannot survive proximity and this is ultimately the great hope we have in the incarnation of God becoming man, of God coming in the flesh um, as the form, as the person of Jesus, that he came near to us. He wasn't willing to stay up in the clouds in some lofty throne, but he came near, not staying at a distance with pity, but he came and he, um, he experienced what we experienced, that he is a God called Emmanuel, God with us. And, it, and it's when we are with others that we learn to mourn. And as God is with us, he comforts us. And as we are with others, we comfort them. It reminds me of uh, the many times I've had to be with people as they've mourned. Um, you know, I was with, I remember being 21 years old and being with a family um, who had just lost their teenage son. I mean, literally, they got the news that he had died uh, a few hours earlier and then the whole baseball team assembled um, with parents and everything 
I remember uh, much more the experience of losing my friend Jeremy. And him and I um, used to play poker together. And then we just became friends. And um, he followed my blog for several years. And we'd have the best talks about faith and what it means to to be human. And um, when I knew he was beginning to um, no longer be able to continue his fight against cancer, uh, his wife invited me over to their house. And I remember sitting with Jeremy realizing, oh, this is probably the last time I'll see him. And then I remember uh, standing on the top of the stairs listening to his wife explain to their, I think maybe she was seven-year-old daughter, that um, dad's not going to be around much longer. I remember um, watching her come around the corner and she had been crying. And I, I remember her distinctively distinctively apologized to me for crying. And I also remember telling her too that, listen, for the next few weeks as we go through this together, um, there will never be ever an occasion that you'll ever need to apologize to me. Um, that you just need to know that that's, that you're fine, you're safe, you're okay. But it, it, it alludes to the idea to me that, that we're really uncomfortable with mourning, with grief, with feeling even. That she would feel the need to have to apologize. And it's not just her. I mean, I think many of us have, have, have out of instinct, out of um, reaction, have apologized for feeling. Um, that maybe this is why we gravitate towards dramatic movies and um and shows like This Is Us. I mean, This Is Us is renowned. It's notorious, right, for being a show where people cry a lot. And maybe the reason why that show is so popular is because it gives us an outlet. It essentially gives us permission to cry. Imagine that, though, that we need as a society permission to cry, to mourn, to grieve, to feel. And I think it's um, perhaps... Uh, made even more difficult um, when we over-spiritualize things. And, and and sometimes the church is, is guilty of this, right? Well, because we sacrifice compassion for pity and we keep people at distance and we don't know how quite how to feel in a healthy way, we equate the idea of mourning with that that you don't have hope, right? So that somehow hope and mourning are mutually exclusive ideas and they're not. And so we'll settle for trite very trite uh, phrases like it's all part of God's plan and God wanted her home a little sooner than expected, I guess. I mean, these are just horrific things to say to someone. And before I get too worked up about it, I, I need to remember that what's behind that is someone that's actually hurting, someone that has suppressed their own feelings. They haven't figured out how to mourn themselves and to feel. And so no wonder they don't know what to do around others that are mourning and those who are experiencing grief and those who are choosing to feel. See, for Jesus, these weren't mutually exclusive ideas, the idea of um, hope and uh, mourning. Uh, but I'll, I'll, let me go back to this for a second because I want to drill this a little further. Um, I think that what's behind the church's inability to feel or with our discomfort with mourning is that um, we want to ultimately dehumanize Jesus, that we want to see him as someone that didn't feel and someone that wasn't fully human, um, that we're so uncomfortable with God becoming flesh, that he was incarnate, you know, 
And I, I got in a Facebook war uh, a few weeks ago with someone that was like wanting Trump to build that wall. And I was like, hey, did you know that Jesus came and he was a refugee? And the guy was like, no, he wasn't. I'm like, well, I'll show you. And I, like, I was like, here it is. He's leaving. He's fleeing from this king that's trying to kill him along with his family as an infant. And then they're taking they, – to find refuge, they cross a border – what would you term that? And then the guy was like, okay, well, he didn't break any laws, though. And I'm like, well, Jesus actually broke all kinds of laws. You don't get killed on a cross unless you break laws. He loved, seemed to almost enjoy breaking laws, in fact. He, he broke the Sabbath law all the time. And the guy was like, okay, but, you know, he never made mistakes, though. And I'm like, well, how do you think he learned how to walk or read or write you think he just like nailed it the first time i mean do you think jesus ever pooped his diaper <laughs> well he never doubted though uh, well, I, well, how would you else would you describe when he hangs on the cross and he looks up to heaven he says my god my god why have you forsaken me <laughs> i don't think he's just saying that to be coy i, I think he actually really meant that question and um, pete rollins explains it as that was the moment that God became an atheist. And I think that's really true. But what's behind all that stuff, I think all those statements, I, I think it's a dehumanizing of Jesus that excuses us from being human. Right? If he doesn't really human, then if he didn't really feel, if he didn't really mourn, then we don't have to feel, we don't have to mourn, we don't have to be human. But you see this most profoundly maybe in the story of Jesus and Lazarus. That's where it all blows up. It just doesn't hold together. Because in that, his friend dies. And he's buried for several days. Jesus comes in late. And when he asks people to like, hey, would you um, undo the gravestone so I can see the body? The people are like, no, it's going to be stinky. Like, we can't do that. I mean, they've completely resolved themselves to the idea that this person is real dead. And you're real late. And in and, and probably the shortest... Um, well, it is the shortest verse in the Bible. It, it shows most powerfully Jesus being human, and it says simply, Jesus wept. And I love how um, Carol's A. Rodriguez puts it. He says, Jesus knew Lazarus would rise again, and still he wept. Being embracing, because embracing pain is not negating faith. It's actually part of being in the likeness of God. So we have hope, but don't deny our emotions. Pay attention to them. Feel what you feel and enjoy the coming resurrection. See, faith and mourning are not mutually exclusive. He's, he's choosing to feel, and I think that's choosing to be human. And, and, and perhaps many of us, like we need to learn how to, how to feel again. Maybe it's, it's not like a loss of an actual person, but maybe it's a loss of relationship or a loss of a job, a losing of expectations, a loss of hope. I mean, in addition to experience being with people when they mourn the loss of someone they loved, I've been in a lot of pubs over the years, in the corner of a dark pub with someone that was mourning the loss of their marriage. I mean, I've been with people where they've admitted that they've cheated on their spouse and, and we just sit and cry together. And it, and we refuse the decision to buffer or to medicate, but to just sit and be. 
And, and that's, I think, what it's getting at when he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. The Greek root there, the word, it means, um, it, the more, uh, more articulate word maybe, it's just a simple word, ally. Um, that maybe when we don't hide our suffering, um, when we don't hide our feelings, when we actually express them, when we choose to be human, then others are able to come to our aid and fight for our cause. When we choose to feel what others are feeling, it allows them to actually be human. We invite them in to being human. And it develops empathy in our lives. I really believe that those who suppress their own feelings are incapable of feeling for others. I mean, I I really think that's probably what's behind um, how so many evangelical Christians voted for Trump and they think we shouldn't let the, I mean, I get that there's policy debates and I actually, am, I, I'm all for that. I, I think there's actually a really good reason to have a strong debate about the policy of immigration. However, what really gets at me is the lack of empathy that someone is coming to your border asking for help and you would just be so um, just cold towards them. You know, and it, it flies in the face of Exodus chapter 22 and says, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. I mean, God is saying like, when they cry, I will hear them. I mean, that's, he, he's saying that when they feel loss, I'll show up. And this word comforted, again, is in the Greek, it's, a, it's called panikalin, which also means like a, an ally or a helper, right? But it's the sort of encouragement that, as Jim Foster puts it, it points out that it's the very opposite of a grudging pardon or conditional forgiveness. It's like the opposite of um, help with strings attached, And I think this alludes to the reality that in order to remain healthy as we give to people, as healthy as we choose to love people, that we must refuse the kind of giving, the kind of love, the kind of charity that has strings attached to it. I mean, I get asked oftentimes at um, Esquire Food and Clothing Bank, and I've been asked a bunch of times in my work in the city with Seattle's New Gospel Mission, that the common question is, how do you keep from people taking advantage of your services. And I think that, again, back to policy. We should have policies. There should be vetting processes. You shouldn't encourage a system that enables people, right? Because ultimately that's undignifying of that person. Um, That each of us are, are bestowed with our own sense of power. We're able to change the situation we're in. And when you do everything for someone, you actually strip them from the possibly the very power that they need most. However, that being said, if you're going to do this work longer than five minutes of deciding to care for the needs of others, you better get real used to people taking advantage of you. <laughs> like it's just either that or you create a system where the only people you'll give to are people that return on your investment. And that's a commodification of a human being. And it does not end well for your soul. It's, it's a dead end, my friend. And so I've heard people say, you know, like, don't give money to homeless people because they'll just use it for drugs. Yeah, maybe. But maybe another way of looking at it, as my friend Tony Chris pointed out, is he says, when I give money to homeless people, I give them like 20 bucks because you can get real drunk on 20 bucks. And then he said this, he goes, because if I didn't have anyone to call 
for a place to stay that night, then I would want to get real drunk too. And I get that it's hyperbolic, but behind that, I think there's such a powerful expression of empathy. As we refuse to keep people a distance and default to pity, but we move in close and we're with people, then from that develops a sense of empathy where we, we, we are forced to give without strings attached because we're placing ourselves in the shoes of another. When we place strings attached to things, typically it's because we, we need to keep a distance from people because we're so scared of feeling what they're feeling. So this goes beyond just homeless people too. This is giving your time to someone who won't appreciate it. Or it's investing in a young person only to watch them repeat their mistake over and over again. It's any sense of expecting an ROI from someone. And really, it, it, it points, alludes to the idea that somehow my time is more valuable than them, that I'm more important than they are. And unless they get something out of this, and I don't want to waste my time. And you see how that flies in the face of Philippians 2 that says to think of others as more important than yourself. I mean, this way that Jesus communicates to us is so countercultural in the best kind of way. It's actually why, going back to the immigration example, I really strongly dislike the defense that people oftentimes give of immigrants. That, oh, well, you know, did you know that they actually help our economy and that many immigrants are likely to start small businesses? And I mean, the kind of that's the defense that people go to. And I I get why. And that's actually true. It it is. (laughs) But I think it accidentally turns the immigrants, a person, into an ROI, into an investment, into a, a commodity to be used for the betterment of others. And I see scripture, I see God looking at us as if we're inherently, insurmountably valuable just for the sake of being a human being. That that's value enough. But perhaps the blessing that um, comes with those who mourn is we learn to just finally stop keeping score. That we recognize that freely we have been given, so freely we will give to others. I I think that the way this is probably best expressed, this um, total countercultural, different way of viewing the world, the Beatitudes invites us into a better way of being human, more fully human, I think it's best expressed in the story of the prodigal son. Many of you probably know it, right? That there's these two sons of this dad, and this one of the sons demands his share of it of the inheritance from the father, essentially saying like, "Give me the money that you you would give me if when you died, but I want it now." And uh, so that's insulting, right? And but what's crazy is that the dad does; he doesn't have to, but he gives the son his share of the inheritance. And he knows exactly what the son's going to do with it. He's not stupid. And I can imagine as he walks, watches the kid walk away with all that money, that there's a real sense of loss. There's a sense of mourning because he knows he's going to go hurt himself. He knows it's not going to end well. He knows it's a dead end. And yet I am convinced the reason why the dad gives the kid the money is even in his leaving, The dad wants him to know without any shadow of a doubt that you will always be welcome home. Always. 
And, and that's the way I think this blessing changes us. That um, it reveals a God that lavishes onto us. That our Father's love is not given to us in pieces. Let's see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That God's love is wild and reckless and it's wasteful and it's extravagant. It's the kind of love that comforts us and changes us into giving to others without any strings attached. We are comforted in order to become a comfort to others. Freely we have received, so now freely we give. And you see it beyond just the prodigal son. It's everywhere in the Bible once you start looking for it. Like this reckless, wasteful, lavishing, wild kind of love. I mean, ever wonder why 99 sheep and not just like 15? You know, uh, the shepherd leaves 99 sheep to chase after one, which makes no economical sense whatsoever. You imagine if you're the manager of that shepherd and he comes back all like triumphant. He found the one and you're like, yeah, but three more got lost and two got eaten by wolves. So yeah, that didn't work out, man. No ROI there. You should have left that one to die. And we get that way towards others until we realize the day that we are that one sheep. And we so desperately would love for God to answer our cry and be the kind of God that would leave 99 just to chase after me. And that's who he is. There's other stories like a a, a guy that discovers a treasure and spends all he has to just buy that land. It's the first miracle of Jesus that turns water into wine, but it's not just a little wine. It's 160 gallons of wine. Like people are going to get drunk. <laughs> and, and it's not just cheap wine. It's not Trader Joe's bottom shelf. It's that top shelf QFC wine, guys. It's the good stuff. It, it's the woman that, that pours that expensive perfume all over Jesus' feet. It's, it's Jesus who washes feet. The lowest of lowest um, jobs performed by servants. It's a God that would give his only son. I mean, do you see a pattern here of extravagance, abundance, lavishness, recklessness, wild kind of love? And I think it's because anytime I have any semblance of a doubt that maybe I've gone too far, that maybe I'm not worthy, that maybe he won't look for me, all these stories point to the indication that, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I would do anything, anything. You don't have to apologize. Like Just be human and let me be God. It's a different kind of economic system that has decided to not keep score. And it's abundant and it's extravagant and it is reckless. And ultimately, it's a love that is free. And it's a love that frees us to give freely. And can you imagine for a moment if you and I this week decided to treat others as if they were just leaving a funeral. Because that's a game changer. That we would just decide, I'm just going to care for you regardless. 
You're not going to disrupt your own sense of personal dignity and boundaries. Yeah, yeah. There's a point where you end and the other person begins. I'm not saying that to be codependent. What I am saying, though, is what happens if we stopped giving strings attached to the way that we decided to love others, but we decided to, to grab onto the blessing that we are comforted when we choose to mourn, that we choose to feel, that we allow others to be fully human, and therefore we can be fully human, and we decide to care regardless that we would decide to provide presence instead of these trite answers because a human being being with another human being is actually quite beautiful in and of itself. It's actually enough. Just your presence of being with people as God is with us. That we would choose to feel. We would not suppress and medicate anymore so that we can develop empathy and we can feel what others are feeling. And then we would expect nothing in return. Because I don't think God sees you and I as an ROI. At least, oh my gosh, I hope not. Because I haven't been a great investment to him. I don't think the thief on the cross was a great investment to God. He had nothing to gain from that. And yet he looked at this person, breathing his last breaths. And he said, friend... Today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, that's why we call grace amazing. Because it's best received by empty hands. Because it is reckless and extravagant. So this week, may you choose to feel. I mean, maybe it's a loss that you haven't really processed. And it's like, you know what? I'm not going to buffer anymore. I'm not going to dodge it. I'm going to actually sit with it and allow a God who says he's going to be with me to sit with me in it. Because out the other end, you'll be more human. And when you're more human, you can better love other humans. <laughs> it's not brain surgery. It's just so countercultural to what we've been inundated with, guys. So may you see others the way we see others when they're in the midst of, of mourning. That we care regardless, knowing that God cares for us regardless. Sound good? Love you all, and I will see you next week as we continue through the Beatitudes. May you experience this kind of reckless grace this week. Amen. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm new. That's anchor.fm new to get started.